Ooh, ooh, not to scare you. That's my intro. I like <laughs> Usually it. People, when they haven't heard the ooh, ooh, they're like, yo, what is he talking about? <laughs> um, but, but no, um, today have another living legend, a special guest. I'm connected through some close people of mine, and I'm very fortunate to have Dr. Alistair Martin on the show. Dr. Alistair Martin is an emergency doctor as well as an assist, assistant professor at Harvard. Yes, you heard it correctly, Harvard, and has also been a senior advisor at the White House as well. And I'm hope I'm, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Hope I'm not getting you in any you, trouble you or anything nailed like it, that. Bro. You nailed it, You nailed it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's cool. Sometimes, you know, you come on a show or, you know, I'm interviewing people, and, you know, you have a certain list of questions that you want to ask, and it always ends up just getting into, you know, just the more conversational it goes organic, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. And, and that's what we like to do. You know, that's what our community, I like to think, um, likes and what makes it engaging. So you have a tremendous story, and um, we're looking forward to hearing it. But first and foremost, just thank you for your time out of your very busy schedule for just being here. Appreciate you very much, David. And thank, for, thank you for what you do, helping to tell these uh, important stories and get, get the word out about, you know, issues that are pertinent to our community. Absolutely. And... Forgot to mention, Jersey Boy. Okay. Jersey Listen, boy. let me just say something to the audience real quick. All right. Best beaches in the country. Don't at me. Don't at me. Yes, I've heard of Hawaii. Yes, I've been to Miami. But have you been to Asbury Park? It's different. It's different. It's different. It's different. The vibe is different. Yo, it's so funny. I, was, um, I, did, a, I did a video last week. <laughs> And I, I was I was down in, in Florida because I'm back and forth. Yeah. And I was talking to I just ran into this guy and I just stopped. I, sometimes I just pop up at offices. Like if I if, if an energy tells me like, oh, I like that guy on, on, on that I'm looking at on YouTube. I'm going to go to his office tomorrow. Like I'll just. Oh, that's dope. So I did that. Wow. I meet the guy and, you know, somebody comes to the front and they're just kind of looking at me, asking me questions and, you know, kind of a little standoffish. And then I'm like, yo, I, you know, I just came down from Jersey. Oh, you, you from Jersey? Yo, I'm a, yo, you know, and I, I always tell people, like, it's different. Yeah. When, when, when Jersey people connect, like, it's a different pride. Dude. It's 100%. 100%. You know, it's, it's, it's pride forged in um, defiance, let's say. You know, yes. how, many, uh, yeah. how many slanderous things have we had to both hear about our state? But, uh, but, but still, we persist. So. <laughs> and, we, and we persist and we produce. That's it. In, in a lot of different industries across the board. So, um, so no, definitely proud. Uh, you know, we're, we're proud New Jerseyans, um, you know, whatever you would call it. But, uh, yeah, just some proud Jersey boys. And, obviously, you already heard with Dr. Alistair, you know, he was able to come from Jersey, uh, become a doctor. It, I have to say it, you know, it, it's just for me, and I'm sure the audience as well, it's great seeing such a young doctor, relatable, somebody that we feel that, you know, we can have a conversation with because when we tend to think of doctors, it may not be an image of somebody that looks like you right. first and foremost right. that comes to mind. So that's, that's important for us to see. You know, we know we can, uh, we can be, be LeBron James, you know, or at least we think we could be LeBron James. We could be 5'5 five five and believe we could be LeBron James, but, you know, we don't always have that same energy towards a lot of the other professions, including being a doctor like yourself. That's right. So. And, and for, for the, the listening audience, those who are not able to see me, just picture a dude who looks like a Ninja Turtle wearing glasses, <laughs> and, and you got it. That's who, that's who I am. So, you know, I, I did leave my nunchucks downstairs. I don't have them with me. But I can't bring them up for effect. N nothing against Ninja Turtles, but 
Uh, he would be the smoothest brother, Ninja Turtle brother that I've ever seen. So um, I, I'll leave it at that. But um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You know, what, what um, you know, inspired you? We're going to get into, you know, you're, you're actually, me being in healthcare, I've learned a lot about how healthcare is directly connected to politics. Like there's a lot of things that cross over and are dependent on, on each other. Um, so we're going to get into, you know, you done so much just outside. I say, I say just outside of being a doctor, you know what I mean? Like as that, that's not enough, but you have, and you've been able to make an impact that affects a lot of our community. So, you know, I guess we should start with the foundations. You know, what was your upbringing like? Um, what kind of gave you this, you know, this, this, this mental space and, um, this inner nobility, this inner nobility and understanding of inner nobility where you felt that or you knew that you can go out here and accomplish anything it was, anything it is that you wanted to accomplish. Yeah, thank you for saying that, David. I mean, I think the first word that comes to mind is responsibility. Okay, so I came from a, a low-income community in the middle of Jersey. Uh, for folks who know the Neptune-Asbury Park area, that's, that's where I grew up. And I have to say um, this you know, in as direct a way as I can, um, I was not the smartest kid in my neighborhood. Okay. I'm gonna change some names here, but like I think of Bobby, you know, who like, who, who crushed me in algebra in Mrs. Cullinane's eighth grade uh, 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 math class in middle school. You know, I think of Chris, you know, who, who, who crushed me in backgammon, you know, uh, uh, every year in our yearly backgammon tournaments. And uh, both of those young men, uh, got caught up early, served jail time, and, you know, can't find jobs in this community, can't find jobs in our society, in this country. And I think for me, I always think about how easily that could have been me and how thin the margin of error is uh, in communities like the one I grew up in, and I'm sure many of the, the listeners grew up in as well. And so I think that for me, it's a responsibility do you understand? Like it's been, I've been given this gift. I have no idea how or why, you know, um, I made it, um, but I did. And so with that, I have, I have a responsibility to use this time, this opportunity, this moment that I have to do as much as I can on behalf of people uh, from communities like the one I grew up in. So that, that's how I think about it. Uh, and that's what motivates me. Um, you know, given it, you know, I will definitely say I'm sure you were given some great, great abilities and talents, but um, I know that uh, you took a lot as well. And when I say take, that's the hard work that you put in. That's the we, we like to call it acting on energy. You know, mm -hmm. you have the good energy, you get the opportunities, but what separates people, are, what do you do with it? You know, when the ball's in your hand, what are you going to do with it? You can, you know, just take it a step. Or some people could take it two steps or some people are just going to take the ball and just keep running with it. So um, definitely want to shine a light on the fact that you capitalized. You took advantage of the opportunity where a lot of other people may have looked at your situation and said, ah, it's slim to none him getting to this position. Or, eh, you know, he probably going to end up, you know, don't try to be a doctor, you know, maybe try to do this. You, you didn't accept that as an answer more so for yourself, the, not only responsibility for your community, but the responsibility for yourself to make sure that you're fulfilling your potential. That's what it sounds like to me. So um, that, and that's, that's the role, that's the 
the role models and real models. I'm, I'm hearing, I've heard the term real models. Those are the type of real models that we need. Yeah, no, I, I think that you, you really hit on something. I love that, uh, that term of real model. You know, just to, just to kind of speak it uh, plainly again, you know, I, um, I was interested in becoming a doctor because of uh, an experience that my mom went through. So my mom raised me by herself. My dad left our family when I was very, very young. And my mom had metastatic cancer. And, you know, I was 11 at the time. I had no idea what that meant. Um, but one day, uh, the person my mom was seeing at the time was in the room next door to me. He didn't know I was there. And he was on the phone talking to somebody else. And he asked on the phone, what do I do when his mom dies? And that's for me when it really kind of crystallized the situation that I was in, how unfair it was. And, 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 and it taught to me in a very explicit way the reality of the situation. And, um, and so like, you know, I kind of, you know, looking back as a physician now, I probably would have said I, I, I entered into sort of a clinical depression as a kid and like withdrew and didn't want to talk about it with my mom because I didn't want to make it worse for her. But I had effectively written my mom off. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I had effectively gotten used to this idea that I was going to lose her. And over the course of two years, she got chemotherapy, she got radiation, she had multiple surgeries. And these doctors, after two years, they tell me, your mom's going to be okay. You know, like she has, she has made it. She's going to be cancer free. That to me was like real life superhero stuff. And that for me was the, the seed of being a doctor, like that, that desire, that's where it was planted. But just to be super real and keep it back to the real model uh, concept, I was scared, David. I was scared to say it out loud in my community that I wanted to be a doctor, you know, because I hadn't seen it. I didn't have doctors in my family or other people in my community who I could sort of say, well, he did it or she did it. And so I can, too. And so I was scared uh, uh, by that, um, that fear of being embarrassed if it didn't work. And so I carried on my life with this dream kind of hidden that I was keeping to myself until one day, we can get more into this if, if that's interesting to you and the listeners, but until one day, you know, I was a senior, yeah, I was a senior in high school and, uh, and just got caught up, quite frankly, just got caught up. I uh, was in a situation where uh, I was never gang affiliated, but the people that were involved were gang affiliated. Uh, you know, I got mixed up in it and long story short, I ended up jumping in to try and protect an acquaintance, not even a friend, an acquaintance. And I took the, the brunt of what went down. Bro they broke both my wrists. They broke a facial bone. I was in the hospital for a bit. And uh, when I went back to school, okay, David, with my hands casted up because both my wrists were broken, my face looked like I was the mummy because I had scars and Neutrogena and Neosporin all over my face. Uh, the school told me, you're not allowed back here. We have a zero tolerance policy for gang activity. And because of the people involved, they thought I was in a gang. It, it wasn't, they weren't interested in the nuance. And so here, here's what happened, David. At that point, I realized, well, shit, the like safety option, the conservative option, the not going for my dream option, it just imploded. And so here I have an opportunity. Actually, this is a really bad situation. But it could also be the launching pad that I've just needed. It actually maybe could be the freeing moment for me 
to go after that thing with all of my heart. You know what I mean? And that for me, I got to tell you, that's actually where this portion of my life started. And I'm so thankful for it, uh, for that adversity. That's heavy. That's heavy, you know, from the story with your mom um, to what you just, you know, finished up saying it's uh, it's all perspective. And that's something that we actually talk a lot about on on here and we have focused on it actually for the last couple of weeks. How you see a particular situation, it can either be an opportunity, it could be a challenge, it could be whatever, it could be a problem, it could be, you know, something that's terrible or it could be something that's going to catapult you to doing something that you otherwise may not have been pushed to do it so hard. You know what I mean? So, and, and everything that you just said, it, it kind of just all, you know, plays, it, it intertwines because you started off with your mom. You know, I, I had no idea where that story was going to go. So, so you kind of had me on the, 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 the edge, you know, just kind of figuring out where it was going to go. But your mom, um, you know, that situation just so happens to be the situation that made you realize this is what I want to do. I want to be able to, how this doctor made my family feel and made me feel by saving my mom, I want to be able to give that. Now it's a responsibility for me to give that back to the community and the fighter that you had to be to overcome your high school situation. We saw that in your mom. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that just lay down. There's a lot of people that if a doctor tells you, most people, I would, I would argue that a lot of times fear can be the thing that kills you and forces you to give up the most, maybe more than anything. So your mom overcame that. She kept fighting, showed you exactly what you need to do. And um, we see where you took it. Yeah. We see where you took to, it. To your point about perspective, I, I love this quote from Confucius, which is the, the person who thinks he can and the person who thinks he cannot are both correct. They're both right. <laughs> and when, when he breaks it down so simply, and, I, and I'm realizing, learning more, more and more as I get older, that people don't necessarily like simplicity. Mm. That quote is so simple, but what it does is it puts 100% accountability and responsibility on the person. We decide, hey, you want to be right or you want to be wrong? It's up to you. But if you want to be right, then you got to be willing to do A, B, and C. If you want to be wrong, eh, you can kind of just chill out and relax. You know, just keep doing what you do. It's all on us. We decide. We decide. And you're a, represent, you're a representation of, of just that. To build on that, one of my homies from undergrad, look, you know, when I got to Rutgers, right, it felt to me like I had stepped. That's where I went to college. Uh, I went there on a sports scholarship. But I had dropped out of high school, David, because of that situation that went, went down. I ended up getting a GED. And that's how I ended up getting uh, admitted to, to, to Rutgers. But one of my homies uh, who came from a very similar upbringing uh, uh, to me, uh, and I can shout him out, Dr. Hector Osaria, uh, if he's listening out shout there, him out. Shout uh, him out. who's now a, a very famous uh, sports medicine doctor. Uh, but, but we used to really amp each other up uh, back in the Rutgers days by just simply saying, you either want it or you don't want it. Which one is it? See, and that's that sports mentality. See, that's why it's so important. And, and I'm always like sports has taught me so many things. Like it prepares you for any situation that we're going to go through in life. And it simplifies exactly what you just said. Either you want it or you don't. Don't blame anybody else. Take, 
take that accountability and responsibility. It's a very simple decision, but it's one that we all have to make for ourselves because we determine the outcome, whatever destiny, whatever manifests in our life, that's something that we created, in my opinion. This is, this is just how I see stuff. Exactly, exactly. So this is, this is, um, this is amazing. So I want to get into you know, what, you're doing, what you're doing now. You, know, we, uh, you, you gave us so many inspirational things um, already, but you know, what you're doing now is, you know, I'm going to let you explain it, but from my understanding, it's taking, it's, it's connecting with the community, um, very grassrootish, I should say, and empowering by uniting the particular organization that you're in. So I want you to talk about, I know you've, you've done, it's not just a healthier democracy. You've actually had a few different initiatives that you've been able to put in play, but please feel free to explain, um, you know, what they are and exactly how they came to be and why it's so critical that we focus on it right now. Yeah, let me start with, with, with a quick story. So when I, when I started um, my medical school journey, right, I went to Harvard Medical School and I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and optimistic and hopeful about the future. And then in my third year of medical school, third year is where you become, for the first time, you leave the library, as they say, and you go into the hospital. You actually, like, round with other doctors. And you take care of patients. And you sit at the bedside and you see what suffering looks like for the first time, you know, often. I had never shadowed doctors leading up to that experience. I didn't have you know, doctors in my family or doctors in my community that I could sort of sit with. So David, I was working off of this concept, this story of what it meant to be a doctor. Right? I was working off the story of the experience that I had with my mom. What I found when I started uh, seeing patients as a third year medical student was just how broken, and I'm, I'm being mindful of my words because I know, you know, this is a, this is a PG uh, a show. But just let's say the word broken, like how broken the healthcare system is and how broken it is specifically for poor people and also how broken it is for black people. And so it was my first time, I guess, acknowledging the reality of the situation that this thing is like really screwed up. And so I had a decision to make, like, do I complain about this for the rest of my life? Or do I try to, you know, get on the field and make a play? Maybe I don't actually know exactly what to do, but it's better than doing nothing. And it's better than complaining. So I decided to leave medical school for two years. I went to a place called the Harvard Kennedy School, which is a different school uh, where you learn government. You learn politics. You learn how do you go upstream and try and address the political system. And uh, I wish I could say I came away with all the answers. I, I didn't. Um, but, I, but I came away with the ability to ask the right questions, you know. And so from that, I, I uh, swerved into, in, into working in politics for, for a little bit, uh, worked uh, up in Vermont for a year, just wrapped up a, uh, a stint working for the vice president for a year uh, uh, down in D.C. And um, all of this really amounts to building on my understanding of, Yes, I can help take care of the patients right in front of me, but I also have to keep an eye on how do I go upstream and try and address the problem that led to this patient being here in the first place. And that's what we're doing at A Healthier Democracy, right? The work is to simultaneously acknowledge the problem that, that exists on the micro level while finding its correlate at the macro scale, okay? And hitting both at the same time, right? 
So what do our programs do? So one of our programs is called Vote ER. It's a very cheesy name, David, but you get the, the drift. Vote ER is we help people who are in the ER register to vote because they're sitting there. So why not? And it turns out that we have 60 million people in this country who are not registered to vote. Right? That's the whole entire population of Spain that's not voting. And many of those folks... 60 million? That's right. And many of those folks are right in our waiting room in the ER, right? Or in a community health center. So we help them register to vote. And we've helped uh, uh, about 80,000 people so far register to vote all across the country. Another program, for example, is called Link Health, where we connect patients to money that they can use to pay their phone bill or pay their uh, uh, internet bill for their computer at home. Uh, that's through a program called the Affordable Connectivity Program. It's $30 a month that you can use today to pay your phone bill, today, okay? 145 million Americans qualify for it, and only like 30% of folks who qualify have actually signed up. So we use healthcare settings to sign people up for that program, put money in their pocket, and then get them discharged. So that's a couple of the different, different examples of the work we do at A Healthy Democracy. It's amazing because, uh, you know, even on a, a much smaller level, um, so I've worked with the NFL alumni, help a lot of the former players, uh, and, and before I came on board to actually have a position, um, it was important for me, you know, when I was talking to God, I'm like, listen, if, if I do something, it, I, it has to be something that I'm already doing, like in the industry that I'm in, in healthcare, because other than that, it's, it's just not going to work for me. Like, I'm committed to this particular industry, so therefore, you know, it would have to be in that area. What you're doing is maximizing the community that you're already in, not only from a standpoint of healing people, but also giving them the power to heal themselves. You know, that's what you're really doing. You're giving them the power. Okay, boom. We need to get you registered to vote. You need to have a voice in this. You need to be, you need to have a power in this, a power play in this, and that's a vote. So I, it's, uh, it's very commendable what you're doing, and, it's, and I think it's also um, relatable to a lot of people, and it gives us, too, too many of us think that, oh, well, I'm not really into politics. I can't worry about that. Well, when it's doing it as a part of the community that you're already in, then that's something that everybody can do. You're all going to be at work. You know, you if want to explore some of the, the biggest problems that, you know, particular communities have, it can be something as simple, but obviously usually problematic as 60 million people not being registered. But it could be as simple as saying like, hey, this group right here, we're, we're going to make sure we're all registered to vote. And we're going to tell everybody that walks in that door, we're going to help them register to vote. Everybody's super busy. Um, and a lot of times it's probably the people who are the busiest, who think they're the busiest. Those are the ones that probably need to be voting the most, yes. but they're not. Right. So it's, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's, that's a tremendous program. It's a tremendous program. Yeah, thank you very, it's very much, man. I think that the thing that I have learned uh, working in politics for the last, let's say, five to seven years is in this country, unfortunately, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Okay? There are, being, there are decisions that are being made. And if you're not in the room, pe people are going to maximize their share. Mm -hmm. They're not going to just look out for, you, for us if you're not <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, man. So we have to yeah, really be a part of these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I, I think 
seeing somebody, like I said, seeing somebody younger like you, us having these conversations, you know, I speak to so many people, you know, that are around our age. And I think I, I used to not really know what it was, but now I think I've figured it out where when people just say, oh, I'm not really into politics, I'm not into politics. It's just a lack of confidence because it's a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. So people don't necessarily want to or don't necessarily have people like you didn't have somebody that you could look to for a doctor. Mm-hmm. They may not have somebody that they can discuss politics with, you know, that people will passionately talk about sports. It's across the board. You know, it's out there. It's you know, it's it's mainstream. Right. But when it comes to politics, it can be very it, it can it can put you in a in a in a in a position where you're not confident to speak on something. So you just would say rather say like, I'm not really getting involved rather than, you know, taking that initiative to learn, to ask people to start reading books, to start exploring some of the amazing things that you all are doing at Healthier Democracy. So I think it all pays it, it all as as we may think that our us as individuals, we may not be able to make a large impact. But that's why we don't, because everybody thinks like that. But if we switch the mindset to the mindset that you have, it, it can make a world of a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I just, I'll just i leave the, the, the audience with just this, this one thought, right? So um, think about the 2016 election. By the way, I'm not trying to um, uh, you know, stump for any specific candidate or party here. But just think about the 2016 election. There are some states in this country, okay, where the difference of the vote between the two candidates was like less than 15,000 people, all right? Had some of those states gone one way or the other, we'd have a whole different future, all right? When I say to you that we have 60 million people who are not registered to vote, if you even get a fraction of those folks to be part of the conversation, you start to have a different country. You start to have a whole different set of politics and laws. You have a whole different set of rules that we are governed under. And I just want people to take a second to imagine the future that we could have, how bright, how beautiful that could be, if those folks who are not part of the conversation were actually part of the conversation helping to decide the future of the country. And I want to come back to something you said, which I think was so spot on. Those, the very same people who are not registered to vote are precisely the folks who's, who we need to be part of the conversation, right? The, the, the policies, the laws that we get, we get because we have a very specific part of the population that tends to be whiter, tends to be older, tends to be richer. They're making the rules. They're making the rules, man. And so that part of the population effective is creating the laws that the, that the rest of the the country has to live by. So if, if, if I had it my way, we would have, you know, 100% voter turnout, everyone would make their voices heard. Uh, and we will, I think we'll get, we'll get close to that. But until then, everyone's got to do their part and uh, make sure that they're registered to vote. So that's my one call to action for everybody today. Uh, you can go to vot-er.org slash check and you will be able to check your, re- your voter registration. Um, and make sure you're registered to vote. We've got a bunch of elections coming up in 2023 that are really important. But also in 24, as you know, big presidential election coming up. So, 100%. You got it. If, if you're not registered, people aren't going to pay attention to you. That's it. People aren't going to do stuff for you. So get registered. And, uh, you know, let's see. It, it, it would be nice to see what happens when the more people um, are registered, you know, what, what, what happens. You know, I see, 
I see a lot of things changing as far as, you know, who you need to appeal to now. Mm. Um, the more people. So, so uh, it's, it'll, we'll, we'll make sure that we go on and get involved with healthier democracy, um, that, that we are registered to vote, and that we stay connected with all the positive work that you're doing. And I'm sure there'll be new initiatives that we'll be able to follow with you. Um, I'm not going to say it, but you have an interesting week ahead of you, so we're going to let you go. And um, I'll just leave it at this. Enjoy D.C., brother. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for having me on, David. Absolutely. Thank you for being on. It, it, it was a pleasure. And uh, audience, make sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Just your LinkedIn and any social medias, please leave the audience just so we can follow. Yes, I'm going to give you guys three calls to action. First, follow me. That's Alistair, A-L-I-S-T-E-R-F, Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. Two, as I mentioned, make sure you're registered to vote. VOT-ER.org slash act is the uh, URL for that. You can check your voter registration less than 30 seconds. And then lastly, let's put some money in your pocket. As I mentioned, the ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Program, $14 billion of funding to help you pay your phone bill. Go to getacp.org, check to see if you qualify. It takes less than five minutes to sign up and you can start receiving payments to Verizon, T-Mobile, Comcast, Sprint, Mint. I hope you don't have Mint. I hope you don't have Mint. Because nobody's going to be able to get messages from you. But if you have Mint, you can also get some money off to pay your Mint bill. Uh, At least you won't have to pay it. That's it. That's it. So, appreciate it. All right, brother. No, thank you so much. And um, we're looking forward to having you in the future. All right, man. See you later. Have a good one.